when we think about the humanity of God, I wonder if we really allow ourselves to go there. You know what I'm talking about? Let me explain. See, we throw these terms around and sometimes they're so theological. The humanity of God. I mean, we see God up there. We see God as the songs, all powerful, all almighty. We use terms, theological terms like omnipresent. You know, present everywhere. How do you even begin to relate First of all, to somebody who's not here and tangible that I can't touch, human flesh, and then somebody who's omnipresent. Anybody see the movie, what was it, uh, Nina, where Jim Carrey uh, wanted to be God? Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Wasn't that a good characterization? Remember how after he got his godly powers, all the prayers started coming in? And he was trying to handle all the prayers. Have you ever thought about that in reality? How's God handle all of those prayers at once? And respond. And then is there. See, we don't relate to that. So I thought I'd help you relate to the humanity of God. Look at this first picture here. What if Jesus were a burger waiter? What if, what if Jesus were... <laughs> do you suppose there'd be moments where he had to stop look up to heaven and say wow Lord <laughs> Father I'm not sure I understand <laughs> and these people they're so difficult and I brought them what they ordered and then they, they didn't like it or it wasn't warm enough or it wasn't you know can you see Jesus in that how about this next one look at, take a look at this <laughs> have you ever been befuddled by all the choices in the grocery store aisle or the whatever aisle where you've gone to do your shopping you're looking for some deodorant or you're looking for some soap or you're looking for whatever have you, have you ever just your eyes kind of glaze over at all and you know what I do I don't even know often don't remember the name of what I'm buying or the manufacturer. I look for the colors and the graphics on the label first. Oh, now don't look at me like that, like you never do that. You never do that? You, you know the name of everything? Yeah, well, good for you. <laughs> See? And you say, well, God doesn't care about these. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's what's wrong. God doesn't care about these things. The humanity of God, don't, don't take his humanity away. Let me share something with you. This is from the Bible. Yeah. I'm going to read something from the Bible this morning. Shock. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
in the service of God. Now, this next sentence needs some unpacking and some exegesis, so we're going to do that. To make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Here's a good start on it. Let's read it from the mirror translation. He therefore completely assimilated every detail of his human family so that as chief priest standing face to face before God, his compassion and unwavering faith would prevail, would prevail effectively over the underscore, mark this, lies that they believed about themselves having fully accomplished their underscore, note this, at one Now, in the previous translation, we read sins and atonement. In this translation, we read lies and at one And here's why that translation, the mere translation, does that and translates it that way. The word for sin is actually harmatea, it's often translated sin, and it comes from a compound Greek word, ha, which is without, and moros, which means allotted portion. Moros stems from the word morphe, or form, so we could say distorted form. So this compound Greek word for sin is distorted, means distorted form. So when we think about sin, we're not talking about the moral right and wrong necessarily. We're really talking about all the way back into the garden where sin began. And what was that? God had commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of what tree? Do you remember? The tree of the knowledge, not the tree of good and evil the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not the tree of the knowledge of evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both. He said, you were never designed to partake of that tree and live your life judging what's right and what's wrong. I want you just living out of love for me and for all of mankind. Now, what does Satan introduce into that? He comes as a serpent, who, by the way, used to walk upright. Did you know that? Snakes didn't always crawl on their belly like they do now. They used to walk upright. They had appendages. They had two legs. Some versions, species of snakes, still have appendages. <laughs> what? Well, now, wait a minute. What was the curse that God put on the serpent? From now on, you're going to crawl on your belly. They didn't crawl on their bellies before this. So the Satan, Satan appears in the form of a serpent. He uses a serpent's body. And he lies to the woman. He tells her this. Has God said you can't eat of the trees of the garden? She said, no, we can eat of every tree of the, in the garden except this one. And then he says, actually, God knows if you eat of that, you will become like him. What's he saying? You're not already like him enough. There's something outside of yourself you need, so go ahead and take of this tree of what? 
the knowledge of good and evil, weighing right and wrong, and you will become like God. A lie. And they accepted it. They took it. They believed they were not enough. They believed they were insufficient. They believed that what God had created in the beginning and put inside of them was not all that God had for them. And there was something outside of them they needed to pursue. And thus we have the world's culture today. Pursuing and frankly a lot of us believers pursuing things outside of ourselves trying to get peace and comfort and purpose and meaning in life and success outside of ourselves and everything is in here they believe the lie first peter chapter 1 verse 18 you know that you were ransomed from the feudal conduct inherited from your ancestors here's the mirror it is clear to see that you were ransomed from the feudal fallen mindset that you inherited from your fathers what was it a mindset a way of thinking that's the fall that's what sin is it's a way of thinking about yourself that says I need something outside myself beyond what God has already put in there and created all right what's the second word that we said underscore take note of it what was the other word help me there's not uh, huh atonement atonement which the mirror translation pronounces it at one moment why the Greek word for this word atonement means to conciliate to pacify one who's angry okay look at me I'm going to wait till I have your eyes. I admit there is an enormous movement in certain Christian circles, especially in Western evangelicalism, which embraces this first definition. I did, taught it for decades. Jesus is God's atonement for us. God was angry. He poured his wrath out on Jesus, put him on a cross, and crucified him there as a substitutionary payment for my sin. It's popular. It's really popular. Many Christians live there. But let me tell you another definition of this word. And it's right there in the Greek language. It also means to be merciful. It's used in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13 to discuss mercy or one who was saying, Lord, the individual was saying, Lord, be merciful to me. Atonement. <laughs> I can't pronounce the Hebrew or the Greek word, so I'm not trying. Halaskome. Halaskome, something like that. Lord, Halaska, baby. It's also used in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is our propitiation. He's our mercy seat. It, it lifts from the Hebrew the concept of there being a mercy seat. 
That's why in verse 18 of our text in Hebrews chapter 2, we read verse 17. He experienced mankind's temptation with the same intensity and under the same scrutiny and powerfully represents them with immediate effect. Jesus was not crucified on a cross by God who was angry and wrathful and Jesus had to take it. You say, well, how are we forgiven then? God's mercy. He just chooses to forgive you. I don't have to work to be forgiven. I don't have to believe something correctly to be forgiven. I'm forgiven because Jesus is God's mercy seat. And he chose to do this without my participation. Now, if I accept his mercy and I allow the power of his spirit to come into my life and, and change my, my thinking, my, my stinking thinking, I will enjoy now on this earth more of what God has put within me. The curtains will be pulled back and there'll be a greater realization of the humanity of God. Look at somebody right now. I'm, gonna, I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to um, uh, what do they call this? I, I'm, I'm going to move ahead in my outline. I'm going to cheat a little bit and, I, and I'm going to say something here that I haven't gotten to yet in my outline and I want you to help me. Look at somebody and just tell them. I see God. Yeah, now turn around and tell him. I see God. Yeah. Look to your other side and just tell him, I, I see God. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard of the great German theologian, Diedrich Bonhoeffer? He only lived into his 30s because he was under the Nazi regime and he rejected all that they stood for and taught this, these great principles of God in his church and to the German people. And so he died an early death. Here's what he believed about the humanity of God. Jesus' humanity is not a contradiction to his divinity. The incarnation, God becoming man, actually reveals God's nature. So, God's choice to become human was not a step down, but a profound revelation of his character and his love. Look at this, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Christ's life reflects the fullness of the human experience, from joy to suffering, thereby sanctifying our own experiences. How do I know that? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, the writer here in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. He never changed his view of God and who he was. He never accepted the lie that he was less, that he had to move outside of himself to be God, to accept God, to manifest as God. He knew inside himself, I am God. You see, it's this revelation of God, his incarnation, that's central to the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. God actually honors himself by becoming human. The Father's decision to become human was not a humiliation for him. It was a revelation of him. He was honored to become human. How do I know that? Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 9, In him all the fullness of deity resides in a human body. Becoming human wasn't a step down. It wasn't lesser. It's not a dichotomy. It's not something we, we have to try to understand. Well, God Almighty, omniscient, mighty God, glorify uh, uh, God, God the glorious one. And then Jesus, this Jesus. You know, what do we do with Jesus? Jesus was God. God was Jesus. It's one and the same. It's not separate. And it wasn't a step down. To become human was actually a fulfillment of all that God throughout eternity has always wanted, to dwell with humankind. Is that not the Christmas story? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Somebody help me. You choir director here. She knows. Emmanuel means God with us. That was God's plan. And it got messed up by what happened in the, quote, garden, in the, quote, fall. And we can exegete that sometime. But the principle of all this is we've believed a lie. We don't really believe that Jesus was fully human as well as God. We don't believe that God became human. It's just too hard to grasp that Jesus would serve burgers, that Jesus would walk down a grocery aisle as you do, trying to remember the labels and what, what brand he was supposed to take home. <laughs> I'm so glad my wife shops and that I do very little of that. <laughs> See, our preconceived conceptions about divine nature can actually limit our understanding. God's power, God's presence, and his knowledge, they're all fully realized in who Jesus is as a human. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God wasn't waiting for Jesus to do what he needed to do and then you know God would put his anger and his wrath carry out his wrath and judge Jesus and murder him on the cross and then raise him from the dead and let's get back here Jesus where you can be holy and rule with me and we can get this thing down the road a piece and hopefully there'll be some people that believe this all and accept what what I did to you on the cross what a mess God looked forward to coming and being. Jesus, he didn't want to leave. He said, it's essential that I go. He said, it's, uh, you know, I need to go back because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And where I can't be in all of you individually, personally, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell in each one of you personal, individually. You will become everything I am. God's power revealed. Jesus is God's power revealed in what Jesus did, in what he says, 
and how he feels and how he thinks. Do you know Jesus cried? Right? You remember that reading that in the New Testament? Jesus cried. Did you know that God cried? Yeah. See, we don't think that way about God, but God's human. God became human. I'm not taking anything from his divinity. I just want us to understand what happened when God became flesh. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. So what's the outcome of all of this? What's the outcome? of God becoming human. Glorification. Now that's one of those words. It's hard to relate to. You've probably not said that word in 10 years. I say it when I preach. I mean, I don't walk around, man, I'm feeling the glorification today, honey. I mean, I even if I were to tell her, man, I wouldn't say, man, you look glorious. I'd say, you're very pretty. I, I love your hair today. I love your makeup. Wow, what you're wearing. Kick it. I'd say things like that. I wouldn't say, wow, how glorious. <laughs> See, we, we just don't, we don't relate to things. And so we talk about the glory of God. Well, now to help you with this, just think of Jesus and what we know of him when he walked the earth. He drank wine. He partied with sinners. He had people over to dinner that the religious leaders of his time thought and told him and criticized him for, saying these are not the right kind of people to hang around. He did all kinds of fun things. I mean, I see Jesus running and playing and diving into the river and getting wet and having splash fights, water fights in the river with his disciples. <laughs> you say, well, why isn't it in the Bible? Because it's written in John that if they tried to record everything that Jesus did during his 33 years of life, there wouldn't be enough space or enough books to hold it all. That's why. We are his equal. We're family. It's hard to go there, isn't it? Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So what is this inheritance he's speaking of? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. We read how that he's the exact image of the father. Everything is in Christ. Well, we're family. We're heirs and joint heirs. And what's that make us? Sons, daughters, and we have the same image as the Son in order that he might be the, what? Firstborn in a big family. You're not separate from him. 
you're not just a minion, just a disciple, just a human while, while he's God. That's what's wrong. Stop thinking about God as this glorified being that we can't touch or reach or talk to. Start thinking of God as Jesus. They touched him. They laughed with him. They drank with him. They partied with him. They fished with him. And, oh, by the way, he was a carpenter. I wonder if he ever hit his thumb. Do you think he cursed? <laughs> Here's what I know. Whatever cursing in Greek would be, or Aramaic, which he spoke. <laughs> the scripture says, yet without sin. Ooh, cursing's a sin. I know he didn't curse because cursing's a sin. Oh, stop. We've defined sin now, right? From everything to, from missing the mark, right? To shoot an arrow and miss the mark, karmatea, to believing the lie that the, you need something outside of yourself. He never compromised that. So what's God's intentions here? Look at this. John chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Stop saying when somebody asks you, so what do you do for the Lord? Well, I'm just a lowly servant. Stop it. That's beneath you. Stop talking about yourself as a servant of the Lord. You're not a servant of God. You're his friend. Keep reading. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made it known to you. Somebody asks you next time, well, so what's this Christianity about? You claim to be a Christian. What's, what's that like? Yeah. I have a best friend. His name's Jesus. Man, we get along great. I can touch him. I can talk to him. I can smile with him. I can wrap my arms around his legs and hug me. He's with me in every darkness, in every pain, in every sorrow. He's there. He's life. He's human. And he's God. Everything God intended for his son, he also intended for us. Now, I'm going to give you three quotes from early church fathers. These are individuals who are only one at the most two generations removed from the actual living Christ who walked the earth. They call them the patristic fathers or sometimes the desert fathers. First quote, Athanasius, St. Athanasius. A prominent church father in the 4th century, he, be, he said regarding Christ, he became human that we might become like God. Here's St. Irenaeus, 2nd century. He, Jesus, became what we are in order to enable us to become what he is. Does that cause your mind to go tilt? Yeah, me too. Here's St. Augustine of Hippo. Quote, to make human being gods 
he was made man who was God. To make human beings, I misread that, to make human beings, to make humanity gods, he was made man who was God. Taken from his sermon. This is not different from what Paul the Apostle preached. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the divine exchange, he wrote. He who knew no sin embraced our perversion. He appeared to be without form. This was the prophetic poetry. He was disguised in our distorted image and married with our iniquities. He took our sorrows, our pain, and our shame. And he birthed his righteousness in us. He took our sins and we became his innocence. Wow. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I'd sing all of it if I knew it. Well enough, if I, if I could remember the words word for word. There's nobody like him. You say, you know, when we were singing, I kind of felt something. I know you did, sweetie. Yeah. Remember those songs? Remember singing them, Cathedral of Praise? Yeah. Sometimes we'd just all be laying on the floor. <laughs> Not because we were tired. Because like in the Old Testament, you read about how the presence of God would come down and your body just grows weak. You just want to lay on the floor and worship. Yeah. So now you can't manufacture that, all right? It's, it's, it's not a formula. Boy, if I lay on the floor and cry, I'll feel God. Well, people lay on the floor and cry for a lot of reasons and God <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with the reason behind it, right? He's there with you, but we carry his presence. We are gods. We share Christ's divinity. And that's why I call this lesson the humanity of God at one moment. Not atonement, not appeasing an angry God. At one with God. At one with humanity. Christ became at one with all of humanity. Father, may you take this word from your word and your heart and make it alive and real in the hearts and the ears and the minds of everybody listening. See, that's, that's Holy Spirit talking to you right now. He might be urging you towards a decision, maybe clarifying something that you've been wrestling with that's Holy Spirit who himself is also God said so 
is like, what are you saying, Jeff? Are there three gods now? I mean, you've talked about Father. You've talked about Jesus. Now you're talking about Holy Spirit. They're all God. Yes, they're all God. But we believe in one God. There's one God. He manifests in three distinct personalities. Each one of them you can relate to, have a relationship with, speak to. But there's one God. Yes, it's a mystery. There's mystery to it. But I know this. I know Holy Spirit's moving. I'm acquainted after 50 years of walking, literally 50 years of walking with Holy Spirit. You, you hear and you get to be aware, just like those of you that are married and your spouse calls. They don't need to say, hi, this is Jeff. <laughs> right? They just, you know their voice. If they're in the house, you, you know they're there. You can sense there's an awareness. You can sit watching TV and not be talking, and, and yet there's something between you. You're, and, and this is much, much, much more dynamic and real and palatable and powerful and life-changing because he, he lives within your body by his Spirit and... He's redeemed you. He's reconciled you through the mercy seat. You are one with him. Your family, you share his DNA. There's no difference. Holy Spirit, welcome in those layers of our thinking and minds that have pushed you out. We, we just want to open that all up. We open up every division every wall, every layer that's pushed you out, every way of thinking, every attitude that's contrary to your love, to the humanity of Christ. Make us, Holy Spirit, more aware of this wonderful humanity of Christ that we enjoy.